Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Today we have a real hot-button issue, which is religious objections to vaccines, especially this time of year, the flu vaccine. And I'm very pleased to welcome to Freedom's Ring a healthcare lawyer and expert. Uh, Kristen McGurn is a partner with the Boston office of Safarth and Shaw, one of the, the large and excellent employment law firms working with employers, with companies. Kristen, welcome to Freedom's Ring. Thank you, Alan. I'm happy to be here. And delighted to have you. So I guess my first question is how widespread are religious objections to, let's start with the flu vaccine in particular. You know, I would say that it is a fairly widespread issue, and it has um, become the clarifications of how employers should be dealing with um, those sorts of objections have been um, honed and um, become more pointed over the past several years. Um, ever since really the H1N1 pandemic in 2009, uh, the federal agencies and state agencies and local departments of health and the like have focused on this issue, balancing the need for public safety and the health of patients going to hospitals for treatment with employees' rights um, to object to being vaccinated based on a sincerely held religious belief. So I guess the next question, I, I'm aware that in the healthcare field in particular, and I gather you practice in healthcare. A lot of healthcare facilities, hospitals and the like, do require nurses and, and other staff to get the flu vaccine. But are mandatory flu vaccines widespread in other industries outside of the immediate healthcare field? You know, I'm not seeing the um, mandatory vaccines so commonly in other employer settings. I will say that I do think that employer wellness programs generally have there's been an uptick in providing offering free flu vaccines to try to maintain the health of the workplace and I've certainly seen employers adopt protocols or policies that include you know coughing etiquette or in, inviting people to work from home or not come in take their statutorily protected sick time when they're feeling sick so as not to impair the health of their coworkers so I, I have seen that but I think in terms of mandating the vaccine it generally is um, based on a mandate from the state or the federal government relating to um, those who provide care to vulnerable populations in an effort to, as I said, balance, um, you know, protect the patient population from acquiring infectious diseases at a location where they're seeking care. And in fact, you know, hospitals that receive funding or acute care providers that receive funding from Medicare or Medicaid are expected to maintain an active program for the prevention of infectious diseases, and this all rolls up into that for sure. So pretty much every hospital in America gets funding through Medicaid and or Medicare. Are you saying that, that hospitals generally are required by federal law to mandate flu vaccines for their staff? There are generally both at the federal level um, related to Medicare and Medicaid and at the state level related to health and safety codes generally. 
um, there are requirements in, in place to protect from infectious diseases. And those oftentimes result in a protocol, particularly during flu season, to have those with direct patient care responsibilities vaccinated. Now, and OSHA, likewise, um, requires employers to provide safe workplaces, including the prevention of infectious diseases, and they require hazard assessments and protective measures to prevent the spread of disease in the workplace. So there are lots of ways in which uh, employers can find this mandate facing them, particularly those employers like hospitals, acute care providers in particular, that are uh, caring directly for patients. That does not mean that every employee of that organization ends up becoming vaccinated in part for the reason that you were discussing, Alan. There are you know, certainly those um, segments of the population who either have a disability that prevents them from you know, an allergy or something similar that would prevent them from getting the vaccine potentially or a religious objection to the vaccine. Um, so many of the hospital vaccination policies will provide for an exemption process and that's the point at which employers get involved in interacting with employees about um, whether it's an undue hardship to allow the vaccine to fly the wayside in a particular instance or whether there are other measures that can be taken to maintain the protection of the patients and employees in the hospital. So let's talk for a minute about the types of religious objections. As I mentioned before we were recording the show, when we were looking at legislation here in California to uh, more broadly mandate vaccines for school children, we were unable to identify any actual religious denominations that had a teaching to its members to avoid vaccines. So as far as we could tell, and, uh, you know, trying to prove the absence of a negative, of course, very difficult, but as far as we could tell, we couldn't find any significant denomination that tells its members don't you know, vaccinate your children or don't take this or that particular vaccine. And yet there are a lot of individuals that do have religious objections. Talk to me about, you know, are they primarily in any given religion? What, what are you seeing in terms of religious objections to vaccines? So it's a great question, and oftentimes when an employer engages in this interactive process with a particular employee who reports that they wish not to have the vaccine, you know, I have seen employers ask for a note from a pastor or some religious who would be able to support the fact that the vaccine, you know, is, quote, against the religion of that particular um, practitioner. You know, generally speaking, I have not seen those stark letters come back. Instead, what we have fallen back on, and really it's a development in the law, you know, what the EOC would expect employers to do is trust in the sincerely held religious belief of a particular employee who declares that to them, you know, vaccination is contrary to their religious precepts or tenets, and that their sincerely held religious belief personally prevents them from getting the vaccine. That does require employers are entitled to get a written declination form. So the employee needs to state the reason why, generally speaking, they're declining. And then rather than, you know, our advice to employer would be rather than questioning the sincerity of that belief, you know, what can we do now um, to make sure that the workplace remains safe for the patient population and the employee continues to, you know, be efficient and effective at performing their functions at work? What I have seen, you know, I'll tell you is broad and, and widespread in terms of 
the sorts of people who have objected. And just one case that recently settled on this issue, the plaintiff came from the Christian Church of the Nazarene, a Christian woman, a Muslim plaintiff, and also a uh, person who was a vegan and declared that she you know, didn't want to take the vaccine because she was against killing live beings and the vaccine um, violated that belief of hers. So it really does run the gamut. Well, I will say just as a kind of uh, FYI to our listeners, there's one very prominent case here in California some years ago, the Friedman against Kaiser Permanente case, where the court held that veganism as such is not a religion and doesn't enjoy First Amendment protection or or protection against religious discrimination the way religious beliefs do. Right. Although there's no question that, that vegans can be just as um, dogmatic, fervent, passionate, uh, you know, converted, whatever you want to say, as uh, the most passionate religious believer. But it's a it's a tough sell to the court. Right. And it is. I mean, I, you know, I think the process really does become when an employee advises an employer of some sincerely held religious belief that conflicts with a job requirement such as vaccination. It launches the employer into a process um, that, as I said, is, has become more clarified in recent years. But, you know, the employer is then required to engage in an interactive process to explore whether there are reasonable accommodations that can be provided to this particular employee um, and if they or to show that they can't provide those accommodations without some sort of undue hardship to the business. And, you know, that the need to show an undue hardship if the vaccine is allowed not to be taken is a much higher threshold than it used to be for employers. And, you know, the factors that get considered are, you know, the nature and cost of an accommodation, the overall financial resources and ability of the organization, the facility to um, to manage the accommodation, um, the type of operation that you're talking about. So when you're dealing with an employer like a healthcare provider, you can imagine that the balancing of harms um, comes into play for certain and the impact of a particular accommodation upon the operation of the facility. In these, you know, in these vaccine cases, what we typically see is the wearing of a mask in lieu of the vaccination, which is determined in many cases to be a reasonable accommodation. I certainly have heard that the efficaciousness or the efficacy of wearing a mask and preventing flu from spreading is debatable, but it is an accommodation that many hospitals, even within their policies, allow for. Um, but also reassignments to other roles that are not patient-facing for the duration of the flu season, you know, is something that some employers might consider. So as a general matter, then, I guess I'm hearing that employers are generally encouraged to go ahead and accommodate those with sincere religious objections to taking the flu vaccine um, one way or the other. I guess in terms of an accommodation, um, my question is, is there a, and I, you know, I'm, I'm a lawyer, not a doctor for good reason, and, and uh, nobody wants me to give them medical advice. Trust me on that. Um, is there a time period where someone can be contagious with the flu before they have symptoms such that, you know, having them wear a mask or uh, moving them away from patient care when they appear to be perfectly healthy seems like a reasonable thing for an employer to do? 
Yeah, it's a good question. I also am not a doctor, so I, I am not sure what the incubation period is, but I think it's a, you raise a good point. You know, I would say, just going back to the comment that you made, I would say that employers are required to go through the interactive process, that's for sure. Whether they are going to be ultimately required to make the accommodation does depend on the facts and circumstances in any particular case and the way in which, you know, their jurisdiction, frankly, has um, ruled in cases revolving around this issue um, to date. And the courts are, you know, there have been split decisions on issues of this sort, but certainly the obligation to interact is unquestionable. And, you know, I guess in terms of whether a person can be contagious before it is realized, I think the answer to that is likely yes. It, it leads me to the next point, which is, you know, if a hospital decided that it was going to simply take everyone's temperature at the beginning of a particular day to determine whether <laughs> perhaps they're fluish, that would constitute a medical test under the ADA, and there are restrictions about that. And that has been challenged by the EEOC as an improper process because not everybody with the flu has a fever. So to your point, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to tell um, how deep sure. into the flu season you are. Well, I'm very thankful for your time today and doing this show. We're out of time now. We've been talking about requirements for employers to accommodate sincerely held religious beliefs against the, the flu vaccine. And of course, this is such a passionate topic for those who do object. I appreciate being able to shed some light on the subject. Our guest today, attorney Kristen McGurn with the Boston office of Safe Earth Shaw, one of the leading employment law firms. Kristen, thank you for being with us on Freedom's Ring today. My pleasure. Thank you so much. As always, we encourage our listeners here on Freedom's Ring, be informed, get involved. You can check us out on Facebook. Check out our Facebook page, my personal page, Alan Reinach. We're launching a Matters of Conscience Facebook and social media effort. And as we close, we want to remind our listeners, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.